You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful. Assalamu alaykum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to another drive time show with myself Saad and Zakaria today. The topic which we will be discussing today are marriage complete half of your faith in the first hour and in the second hour we will be talking regarding confessions should you share your sins and also welcome um, all my listeners and a happy new year to all of all the listeners who are with me today and assalamu alaikum zakaria how are you wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah i'm doing well how are you alhamdulillah not bad and how is your new year uh, as in <laughs> has it started has it started alhamdulillah it has started yes it has started is a new year okay. new resolutions you know trying my best to with all the shortcomings from last year trying to better on them this year inshallah okay. and see how how we proceed from there same from my side i uh, all the shortcomings that i had uh in regards to my spirituality or any other tasks i'll try to do it better this indeed. time indeed so the clear the question today is marriage mm-hmm. as and uh, is is it the heart, complete of your half faith yes or no and obviously being you being married and i'm getting married soon inshallah so as an experienced person as yourself what is marriage well what's your own experience regarding marriage well complete half of your faith you know the topic uh for non-muslims it would be like wh- what does that even mean like half of the faith indeed now this is because the holy prophet the founder of islam peace and blessings of allah upon him Salam. you know in one of his sayings said that marriage is half of your faith uh in other words he himself showed an example of himself as well by getting married mm-hmm. at the age of 25 and you know and and he set this example that when you get married you have completed half your faith in other words you know once we were discussing with my friends and 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 actually you know pondering on this on this uh, these words of um, uh, our prophet and uh, we we came to a conclusion i mean maybe you could think of something else as well but uh, when you actually get married right you have to set an example to your wi- to your wife okay. or to your spouse mm-hmm. right and she has to do the same because your future generations will all depend on how your behavior is so if you act upon if you truly are a faithful person and you know your actions reflect on the islamic teachings and mm-hmm. the sunnah or the lifestyle of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah upon him right then your offspring and, and or your your generations to come will follow you right okay. so in other words when you get married right you have huge huge uh responsibility Indeed. on uh on your actions of 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 you being an uh, being a muslim mm-hmm. right so th- this is why it's it's half of the faith right and mm-hmm. plus it's also a sunnah which is a uh, life uh, something that the holy prophet peace be upon him a practice that he himself did so when we follow his practices we were actually following the islamic traditions 
uh, we're okay. following the Holy Quran as well. So this is what our you know discussion is going to Indeed. be about, and also what others think uh, outside the Islamic perspective. We will be discussing on that as well, uh, God willing. So um, on this note, I remembered you know there was a guidance by the fifth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community and he said enjoining husbands and wives to find good qualities in each other the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said that if you see a flaw in the other or dislike a habit of theirs there would be many things about them that you may like and admire Mm -hmm. these favorable aspects should be kept in view to selflessly Created a creates a harmonious air and a milieu of conciliation. So that was delivered on the uh, Friday sermon, and in Canada on the second of July two thousand and four. You know, indeed, you know, um, a human being has a, its flaws. Also, yeah. we are not perfect. Not well, perfect. Definitely, we have our shortcomings also, but we should be well working on them. So, mm. if you see one shortcoming, there might be hundreds of good things about your other half or exactly. your better half. Yeah. So we should try to ponder upon them. And if you see a shortcoming, in my opinion, you know, we can explain it to them. Okay, this is what your shortcomings are. We can work on them together. Yes. So it's it's like a, a hand-in-hand partnership. Exactly. So marriage, what do you think? But the marriage, so is, is it a contract? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's a difficult question. We have experts, inshallah, with us today. Yes, they will we'll be, be discussing Able to this. answer this. Yeah. I mean, when you get married, right, uh, it's, uh, you said it very well. When you look, before you're even judging your yes. uh, your spouse or your your partner, you should look at your own mistakes, right? Indeed. Sorry, I'm cutting you. you know, yeah, just, sure. just for the listeners, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm getting married next month. Oh, so wow. that's why I'm curious now okay. to find out more about <laughs> marriage. Right. It's it's now dawning upon me for the past couple of weeks. Okay, yes, I am getting married. I have mm. to um, think of my um, half, which is coming, um, my wife, who's coming to stay with me. Because mm-hmm. right now I'm living alone with my parents. I have my own room. I'm, I, I can do anything in my room. Like if I'm able to sleep and uh, I would say, oh, I can sleep at 12 o'clock, well, 1 o'clock or 11, you know, my own timings. And but when she comes through, and I will have to be with her all the time, and I I need to look after her also, and she has to look after me also. There's so that that's why I wanted to ask you because you've been married for some time now. That's yeah. Why. I, as I said, you have to set an example. I mean, because if you expect something from your spouse or your wife, right, mm-hmm. you should set an example. If you have flaws. And and you start to correct your wife, uh, or you know, for example, there are so many things. A, a human being is not perfect. Uh, myself, I'm not perfect. I'll try my best to set an example. But then again, there's so many things that I learn from my spouse as well, right? So when you get married, uh, inshallah, you will have to look at your deen, your your religion as well, and you said you know sh- you should set, set an example for her. So that uh, she can learn, and she, you learn from her as well. And and the Holy Quran also speaks about, you know, the marriage, the topic of marriage in in chapter sixteen, where God Almighty says, "And Allah has made for you mates from among yourself." So you are, you know, made in a way that you basically get married, 
and reproduce, right? This is one of the most important things uh, for for and and uh, and the purpose of marriage is is also that you can take care of each other and you reproduce as well. And Islam is a religion uh, of peace and ease, and like a precious diamond, it must be taken care of a worn proudly. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and one of the beautiful facets of Islam is that it provides a complete guidance for all aspects of living. You know, this marriage as well, it discusses in detail as well in the Holy Quran and, and of course in the uh, through the sayings of the Holy Prophet, we learn what our life should be when we get married. And you will find that the instructions regarding the marriage are particularly uh, comprehensive in both the Holy Quran and the ahadith, the ahadith are the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings Allah be upon him. And the marriage structures the basic unit of human society and lays the foundation of the family. Healthy families are required for the cohesive preservation of the human race. So God Almighty commands the believers to marry for its benefits, which has the benefit of morality, benefits of spirituality, socially and psychologically as well. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah upon him, he himself said that marriage is my precept and my practice. Those who do not follow my practice are not of me. I mean, th- there's so many things that, that are beneficial when you get married. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the f- few things that come in, into my mind is what marriage does is stop, you know, because you are committed to one woman only and you know that it's a serious thing. It's not... You cannot just do whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? When you get married, you have to be serious and you start you start, or you stop yourself from going to other women, right? In Islam, it's prohibited anyways, mm-hmm. but it protects you because you already have someone and it protects you from, from doing unlawful things, right? Okay. Uh, and also, it has a lot of other benefits that we, we will be discussing, of course, Um as you said, we will be discussing about marriage, particularly the system in Islam in marriage, and we will be, de- uh, you know, digging deeper into the purpose of marriage in Islam, and also specifically how to choose a life partner as well as how to be a good spouse. Um, so th- these are the things that we will be discussing. So could you say um, how should the marriages be? You know, should they be extremely, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, a lot of people, they spend millions or thousands of pounds, right, or dollars or whatever, in order to have a luxurious marriage. So what is the sunnah or the the teaching of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in, in, in regards to the marriage? So, you know, um, regarding marriages when they take place, and we have, instead of, let's having a lavish feast, um, with like a whole buffet of let's say 10 15 dishes and you know and guests are eating till they can't uh, feel it like their stomachs anymore that's that's another way it's written and there's a narration uh, narrated by Aisha Anha, and she says we clay plastered the room prepared two pillows stuffed with the peel of dates and offered dates grapes and sweetened water to the guests we took a stick and placed it on one side of the room so it could be used as a hanger for clothes or the water bag of leather. 
In brief, we have not seen a a wedding better than Hazrat Fatima Rizal Anhas. So you know, this was a simple wedding, and pe- and everyone was um, very joyful at that in that occasion. Even nowadays, we have weddings, but um, for let's say for luxury weddings, right? You should be able to afford them. Mm-hmm. If you can afford them, it's fine. But if you if you're not if you're not able to afford them, let's say you earn one pound, yeah, and the wedding costs hundred pound. There's a difference of ninety nine pound in that um, um expense on you taking a debt on top of it, hmm. and you'll be a um under debt for a very long time to clear that off. Yeah, a marriage shouldn't be a burden to anyone. Marriage should be you know there are two uh, uh, um partners coming together and their yeah. families coming together. But if if I may ask you, what's the purpose of you know gathering so many people and having this this program? Can't we just have it very simply and yes, but the thing is, in, uh, when we have you know, you want everyone to join in your um, joyful occasion, mm. and you want everyone to be there. Let's say, my family, my extended family, my co- colleagues, my yep. friends, their parents, their mm-hmm. family, because mm-hmm. you've been speaking with them for the past twenty odd years now, twenty twenty five yep. years, yep. and then when you want to get married and you don't um, speak to them, or you say, okay, I'll see uh, two people out there, which is also fine. But, but yeah, there is a benefit, benefit that you actually united all the uniting all the families and you coming together for, for the purpose days. of you know for the marriage as well. But, but then there is other that, benefits behind is, that, that as well, right? That's when you're able to afford it, right? Yeah. If you if you're not able to afford it, that's understandable mm. also. So that's that's always two sides of the story, right? If you can afford it, go ahead for it. Mm. If you cannot afford it, just go with what you can afford. Mm. If if you um, for example can only spend one pound, yeah. spend one pound. If you can spend ten pound, spend ten pound. If you can spend hundred pound. Do you spend hundred pounds? So, and what? What if you are a millionaire, right? Or let's say a billionaire, right? If you've got enough enough money, right? Can't you spend? Can't you have a luxurious a a, a wedding that is rememberable for uh, for everyone, whoever is going to come? So, is that something which is permi- permitted in Islam? Is it something which is encouraged in Islam? What do you say? So as 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 I just mentioned um, the narration of Hazrat Aisha Zalana mm. and how how has the wedding of Hazrat Fatima Zalana took place it was really simple where yeah. they had um a, a, what's it called two pillars stuffed with the peel of dates and offered dates mm. um, grapes and sweetened water to the guests yeah and where nowadays we have like two uh, five six dishes yeah so if you can afford it mm. just go ahead for it but if you cannot afford it as again just don't. Uh, see, what we do sometimes is we try to please others, right? And by that, what happens is then the competition starts on top of it. Yeah. So let's say if my wedding takes takes place, and okay, I had two dishes. My cousin's wedding starts um two weeks later. They're like, oh no, he they did this. Mm. So if the competition starts, that's wrong. But if they can afford four dishes, go ahead with four dishes. Right. As long as you're not wasting any food, yeah, right? And uh, wasting any money, wasting any money, and it's because because a wedding should be joyful for the one who's spending also, right? I see. If yeah. I'm spending, it should be joyful for me, and it shouldn't be a burden. Yeah, for but me. a millionaire for for that person it doesn't really matter, isn't it? <laughs> if he spend, let's say, for example, if he's a millionaire, he yeah. he be spending as a, long as he can. Amount. If he can spend that amount, hmm. yes, that's and fine. Doesn't go but into, if he goes into, let's say, if a millionaire spends billions of pounds, yeah. That's uh, which he can't afford. That's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. It shouldn't be a burden to anyone. Right. It should be a joyful In, occasion for everybody. I mean, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him. He could afford a luxurious uh, wedding, indeed, but you know he decided to set an example 
for the ummah as well and for the Indeed. believers as well that keep it very simple instead of like giving that extra money you know in the wedding you could you know use it for charity or the fo- poor people and needy people as well right mm-hmm. and uh, another thing is uh, what i've seen in asian countries is that you know, when when rich people have these very um you know luxurious weddings what happens is that the poor people or even beggars they can't go inside because the people who enter the weddings they have this very you know uh, what's it called you know very fancy clothing right mm-hmm. but what i personally think and with the teaching of the holy prophet peace and blessings and upon upon him as well that every single person should be able to come in in in, in poorer countries as well there are sometimes you know when when just people come in without invitation but they're extremely poor so i think everyone should be allowed to come whoever is needy mm-hmm. and uh, i believe um that uh, you know instead of like giving it out to the weddings they should be given uh, the money the extra money that you want use for for the wedding of course yes um we have our first guest with us today her name is anam islam and she is a lawyer and a journalism student and with this short introduction i would like to welcome her to the show assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam jazakallah for having me jazakallah anam sahiba um, i wanted to ask um you know when someone is getting married and when um for example when they're choosing a spouse what are the main criteria or the key things that they should be considering okay so uh, first of all i'm just going to say sorry if there is any background noise i'm still not on my way home from work so i'm okay. still outside uh, if there will be an interruption and i'm very sorry about it but um yes yeah, so what i think should be first and foremost when you're considering as uh, someone as your future spouse is to see whether or not they have love of god that's something personally for me that i uh, think is very important this love of god because that encompasses everything mm-hmm. a person that uh, loves god will do everything to also be loved by god and follow the commandments that get you that make you close uh, put you closer to him that includes the way you treat others uh, that includes the way your your you yourself behave in society the way you contribute to society mm-hmm. whether or not you're a good person whether or not you're a kind person if you're arrogant um if you have too much pride or whatever all of those things are sort of you you you're more mindful about it when when you're trying to become a person that's close to god and a person that loves god so that's something that i personally think is important but there's also uh, and if you don't believe in god mm-hmm. uh if you're non-religious then i think it's very important to see whether or not you're go- you're you're choosing someone that's kind of heart that has compassion for every human being um whether it's is uh, a server at a restaurant or if it's his or her mother or uh whoever it is it should be someone who has kindness for humanity at heart mm-hmm. and uh, it should also be you should also take a look at whether or not uh the thing is we're all defined by by our environment the places we grow up in the the places we come from the cities we live in the culture we've grown up with so obviously you need to take a look at some of those things because there are certain differences between human beings that might be so certain gaps that might be so huge that they can't be filled through a lifetime and uh, so one should be mindful to to find someone that is different but maybe not so different that it becomes a, a um 
something that you have tons of conflicts about, like your differences become something that you have conflicts about. So that's another thing that you can look at. But, for, but first and foremost is definitely whether or not the person has love for God and humanity. That's what Sist- I think is yes, important. Sistanum, I wanted to ask, um, what about if um, the person or someone feels um, choosing, while choosing a spouse, they're not compatible so what is um, some um, um, what's it called some reasoning for that we can give um, to our listeners today? So when someone says, "Okay, he or she is not compatible with me," what can we do about that? So if you if you feel that someone is not compatible, so for instance, for us Muslims, mm-hmm. the most important thing is that the other person is Muslim or has faith in their heart. Okay. So I think that the most important thing is whether or not your faith aligns, uh, and uh, because that your faith, whether or not you believe in it, your faith create, has a lot to say in the way you conduct yourself in your daily life. So uh, your faith defines how you're going to treat children. If you want to have children, your faith decides what kind of lifestyle you're going to have post your marriage. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing is to take a look at, at each other's level of faith and that is is the most important thing and there are many differences that you can work on the the point in life is that no one is perfect no one is created perfect and no Mm -hmm. one is going to become perfect so it's important that we realize that we are as imperfect as the other person is and it's about finding someone that you can work on those imperfections with that you can work on um, work with to become a better version of yourself and eventually become like a better unity for the world. So I think there's a lot of things. I think it's a bit tricky when it comes to compatibility. I, I know that's an argument many people have, that it's important to be compatible. Mm-hmm. And obviously that it is, but there are, sometimes we look into those nitty-gritty details too much and ignore the most important, the biggest questions in life. And, and we overlook the biggest positive traits a person has just because they maybe have a color that isn't the same has a has a favorite color that isn't the, the one you prefer or has a way of dressing that isn't the way you prefer in terms of like maybe they don't use branded clothes or whatever mm-hmm. so those kind of things i i would say are but that's not what defines life basically okay so yes. um sister uh Anna, i wanted to ask you so you know um when uh, what should be done to create a harmonious or and a happy um atmosphere at mm-hmm. home um for the couple the first thing is to understand that a home consists of more than one person. Both uh, the wife and the husband have equal responsibilities mm-hmm. to make the home harmonious. That includes being each other's support in every task, whether they are home or outside the home. It's created on the basis of respect and on the basis of showing respect also to those people that are close to the person you're going to be um, living with. Okay. It's about showing respect to, to for instance, uh, me if I get married it's about showing respect to my husband's family as well as showing respect to my husband because mm-hmm. my husband's family means a lot to my husband so it's about that as well and also be be united in front of people and don't let other people define your relationship don't let other people um, affect the way you think about your spouse or the way you think about your children don't let anyone else whether they're family whether it's comes from a TV show or whether it comes from someone else, don't let them have a say. I think in many times, many conflicts uh, happen because we let outside forces um, have um, uh, affect our mentality or affect the way we live our life or affect the way we look at uh, people, even people in our own family. We need to stop doing that and we need to focus on ourselves and, and the betterment of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's about constantly being aware that, once again, it's about being aware that no one's perfect and mm-hmm. you're not going to have a perfectly harmonious 
home, there is always going to be ups and downs. But it's about embracing those ups and downs and be go, going together about like getting together and say that, you know what, whatever happens, we're going to work through it together and we're going to respect each other through everything. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing, really? I think. Um, uh, Sister Anum, um, relating to the previous question, you know, just this, uh, mm-hmm. the answer of yours, uh, there are, uh, especially in, in the South Asian uh, societies, mm-hmm. we have this, um, that the parents they get involved in their in the marriages, mm. right? And this is mm, a, mm. one of the biggest problems in Muslim households as well. Mm. So, how do we deal with that? Um, mm. You know, we know that they shouldn't be getting involved, but mm. how do we mm. deal with the parents saying anything to your spouse, for example, uh, for example, my parents saying something to mm. my wife, or mm. her parents saying something to me? So, how do mm. we deal with this situation? Well, it's it's a very difficult uh, issue because the thing is that we don't want to come across as disrespectful towards our own family either. Obviously, it's our parents. They've they've brought us up. Uh, they're the reason we're in the world and whatever. But but the thing is that it's 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 something that needs it's. <laughs> something that's called consistent work it needs to happen from day one mm-hmm. it's from the day the day you get married it's, it's about creating a notion that this is this is my wife or this is my husband and i respect that person and i i'm gonna respect that person no matter what you say and it's also about not necessarily sharing every single thing with every single person obviously mm-hmm. if, the, if it's something serious and you need help or whatever that that's completely different obviously i'm just not right now i'm talking about those small everyday problems mm. that we have a tendency of oversharing to our friends oversharing to our uh, to our parents and we we worry them and obviously our parents are then going to become worried and think maybe we're not happy in our home mm. they're going to get involved and things are going to escalate and it can go really it can be just a small fight with maybe you wanted to the husband wanted the wife to maybe cook this today and the wife instead ended up cooking something else and the husband was a bit annoyed or whatever and it just escalates and becomes this full-on family conflict which is, has two families involved for absolutely no reason because the girl decided that she's going to tell her mom or dad about everything uh, or it can be the other way around that maybe the husband goes and tells his mom that oh she didn't cook what I like today I asked her to cook today and she didn't cook uh, or something else that's just like that's the kind of behavior that is best left by in school when we're children and we tell our teachers everything. We shouldn't be doing that once we're married because you're an adult and, and your life at this point is going to be the life you create with your partner. That's going to be your, your main home. The home that you had with your parents has to be put a bit on the side now because that was in your past. Your present and your future is the, um, the home and, and the environment that you're creating right now with your partner. And how can you create... Uh, a bal- perfectly balanced home if you consistently drag people from the outside in and get them involved in every single thing, whether it's about choosing the color of the paint on the walls or whatever. It's like there's no need for oversharing. I think oversharing is something that definitely is something we can improve in practical mm-hmm. life and uh, not necessarily share everything with everyone. Um, and the other thing is to just be, be try at least to be more firm in, in, in the way we talk about our husband or wife in front of people that we always show a constant res- constant respect that we we talk about them in a respectful manner in front of other people and uh, that we um, treat them well also in front of other people don't bring your fi- fights outside your home don't take don't uh, bring up those big discussions or those big topics in front of other people deal with them in your 
personal um, uh, private time when you're just the two of you. Those kind of things, I think, is just like my, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to say that I, I have the answer to it because it's very difficult. But like, these are some of the things that I've, I, I've seen people do that have helped them or that I know, I've heard our Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, was also very, very, very fond of letting, um, uh, letting girls and boys themselves decide whether or not they wanted to marry someone. He started there. He mm. like, didn't let the parents make the absolute final decision. Like He would always encourage them to involve the kids and let them have the final say and that's where he sort of set the precedent that this is the way it's going to be now this is her life or this is his life hmm. and that's the way he lived and this is also something in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community our our guide Khalif has also spoken about this many times and he's also brought up the topic of, of oversharing and just yeah that, that that's I think that I think is, is at least one main thing that I think is an issue that we share too much too hmm. early that's, uh, it just reminds me of a a verse of the Holy Quran, chapter two, where God Almighty says that you know, as in your spouses, they are the garment for you, and you are the garment mm. for them. So, exactly. anything which is negative about your spouse, that shouldn't be mm. exposed to uh, a third person. Um, mm. Lastly, I would like to ask you, in light of Islam, uh, what are some of the best examples of exemplary marriages in Islam? Oh, that would be without any doubt. My role models are Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and his wife. Especially, I really love uh, reading the stories about his life with Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be upon her, and with Hazrat Aisha Radhiallahu Like the way he was just like the most supportive husband you could ever come across in any histories you ever read. The way he always empowered them. The way he would. He would always put them forward. He would create, um, he would make sure that others respected them too. Because going back to the verse that you just brought up, he really uh, embodied that in person by always talking, talking highly of them outside in society about always, always um, um, advise, uh, referring to them if people needed guidance on specific things. And he never, ever um, uh, made them feel uh, any less because they were uh, women and he was a man or that he was a prophet. Or, and and that, I think, is very important. And also, secondly, we often talk about how he was as a husband, but also how Hazrat Khatija and Hazrat Aisha were as wives. Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was hated by so many people. He was on a journey trying to make people see the light of religion, trying to bring people to God, which was a journey that unfortunately gave him loads of enemies. Loads of people talked about him. Those of people talked negatively about him, treated him badly, threw garbage on him, threw other things on him. And, and Hazrat Aida Shah and Hazrat Khadija saw all of that. They saw how he was being treated. They, they heard what people said about him, but they decided to stand by him. And when no one else, Hazrat Khadija said, if no one else is going to stand by you, I'm going to stand by you. And Hazrat Aisha made sure to always be his support system when he needed it, helped him, whether it was during his travels, whether it was during wartime, or whether it was about teaching other people about Islam and what God has said and the true message of God, they were there as his biggest hand, biggest support system. Mm. So that, I think, is definitely, without any doubt, the greatest examples of the best marriages that have ever existed because definitely. they truly were 
two people that uh, were on difficult journeys, uh, three people that were uh, on difficult journeys, but that decided in their individual marriages that they were going to make sure that the other person is not uh, put in a dark spot just because I'm going through something or, yeah, whatever. It was like, yeah, yeah, they were just bringing out the best in one another at all times and making sure that other people also saw the best in them. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. <coughs> thank <coughs> you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Anam Islam, for for your time, and <coughs> and coming over uh, for uh, for answering our questions. It was a, a great pleasure to uh, be able to speak to you. Thank you. <coughs> so uh, this was Anam Islam, lawyer and a uh, student of journalism as well. Uh, it was very interesting um, discussion that we had. Um, and and the last question, you know, when we look at the lives of the Holy Prophet as well, Indeed. we see that none of his wives ever ever complained. Although, you know, when usually what happens is, of course, when as friends as well, uh, we we compare each other, right? And mm-hmm. and when we're in the same house, of course, there is sometimes uh, when we're not satisfied of the spouses right just even husband and wife right there's always some some sort of complaint but they never ever were displeased of how the holy prophet you know you know treated them indeed you know with with this i just remember when the commencement of prophethood happened Hmm. and uh, and the words came ikra read yeah and and the holy prophet said um that i'm unable to read Mm -hmm. and then when the angels and said read read again Right, and he said, "I, I am, mean, I'm, 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 I am unable to read." Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Ikrabismirabikalazikhalak." They read in the name of the Lord who has um, created you, right? Yeah. And all this happened. And when he came home and he was in a state of anxiety, he said to Hazrat Khatijah Zala Anha that you know, "Zamiluni, zamiluni," mm-hmm. put a mantle um, over me, mm-hmm. and he said that I fear for my life. Yes, and then then um, the beautiful thing what Hazrat Khatija Rizalana then said is, mm. n- um, um, she said, "Nay, nay, such can never happen. Rather, glad tidings be to you. By God, Allah shall never disgrace you. Mm. You treat your kith and kin with love. Mm. You are." Truthful and assist others in discharging their responsibilities, mm. and have gathered within yourself lost virtues. You are hospitable and a helper to others in the way of truth. Wow. And that these were the words of Hazrat Khadija. Um, I mean, she gave so much comfort in, in just just words can you know make you like from from a you know very scared person to a very brave person, Indeed. isn't it? And so it was like a friendship they had, right? friendship they had, and also it gave her the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him ease and and courage as well. That no, whatever I have experienced wasn't, you know, it was a message from God, and I shouldn't be fearful. Indeed, because you know there is nothing that uh, you know tells there is nothing that that I have done wrong. Right, mm-hmm. so the comfort that a spouse gives, and and the first wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave to his uh, you know, the um, the Holy Prophet so, was so. Oh, this is basically what marriage mm-hmm. is all about, Indeed. right? You so know, with this um, in t- 2021, when His Holiness Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the fifth, may Allah be his helper, and when he he gave a speech um, on 
on the ladies section, the ladies side uh, that day, mm. and he, he, quote, I mean, he quote, quoted the Promised Messiah, Elisad Waslam, and said, you mm. know, when, uh, um, who said that the rights um, to women um, by Islam have not been given to them uh, anywhere else? The relationship of a husband and a, and a wife should be like two friends. Hmm. The witnesses, a witness of a man's moral conduct in his wife. Furthermore, Islam teaches that the best among you is the one who is best to his family. Hmm. If one cannot uh, reconcile with his wife, cannot um, he then he cannot reconcile with God. Hmm. So you know, he, but the, but the, um, his holiness has said that you know there's a friendship between two people, and. Uh, when he was quoting the Prophet of Islam, there's a, a friendship between two people, and you know, if you're unable to and uh, you know reconcile or have a friendship with her, how mm. are you um, able to have a connection with God? Because remember, exactly. this is half of your faith. Yes, this is. That's no. why. That's why the topic of today is marriage. Is, half, of uh, half, half of your faith. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, so true. I believe we have our second guest for uh, this hour, Asma Azhar. Uh, she is the Lesnar president of Reading. Um, so uh, with this short intro, Assalamu Alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show, Voice of Islam. Wa Alaikum Salaam, Rahmatullah, Jazakallah for having me. Jazakallah for um, connecting with us. Um, what are some of the main aspects of leading a happy and content marriage life? Um, you know, as, as, as you know, we, we are discussing about marriage and specifically uh, of the saying of the Holy Prophet, half of your faith is, is, is marriage. So what are the uh, main aspects of a happy and a content uh, married life? I was just listening to the show earlier. I think um, Sister Amna or uh, Sister Anam, she mentioned some amazing points. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just like to add that um, when we get married, we all we all have different personalities. So every couple who is getting married, they will have an altogether different formula to the happiness in their married life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it probably won't be the same for one couple um, to the other. Though what I have observed around um, in Jamaat, um, in the families we meet, and in the generation above us as well, that uh, mutual respect and being grateful for acts Mm-hmm. It might be small or big from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, it leads to a very content and happy life. Um, for instance, I would just like to share that um, it might seem like a very small gesture, mm-hmm. uh, but as my husband, he always thanks me, even if I'm doing a very small everyday task mm-hmm. at home. But uh, I I know that even that small task has been noticed by him. And uh, even though he won't be there um, to help me, though he does sometimes, but if he's not there, he'll make sure that he would thank me for that. So it, it, this small thing is such a big mood booster for me. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it, it's very important that when you are in a married life, um, the dynamics change. You are not single anymore. You are not living for yourself anymore. So you're in, you're not in competition with each other. You are going forward as one unit and you're building a life together mm-hmm. in one unit. Also, I think it's very, very important that uh, in every relationship and in every relationship center, Allah Almighty, He is the one who should be there. So if you know that uh, whatever you are doing is for the pleasing of Allah, your Creator, ultimately, you will um, see the change because you will 
not be pleasing um like the other people it could be the extended family it could be um each other you're mm-hmm. pleasing allah and he will be the one who will be uh, rewarding you ultimately mm-hmm. so this this is very um important factor and um, he has promised in surah rum that uh, um he will put mercy and love uh, love between the two so the couple needs to put the trust honesty and basically all their effort to make it work mm, definitely um we also see that um, nowadays some of the weddings are extremely extremely costly and uh, the weddings they, you know it, it, if if someone can't pay so much of money when there's a competition as well right where they try to have the most luxurious weddings um what is what does islam say on this is is one required to spend a huge sum of money in uh, in their weddings i think th- that's the point where we have to go back to what hazur sallallahu alaihi wasallam did um how she performed like when hazrat fatma got married mm-hmm. her he asked hazrat ali what you can give for the dowry mm-hmm. so and it was very plain what he gave um hazrat uh, what hazrat sallallahu alaihi wasallam gifted hazrat fatma was very basic necessities of life as well mm-hmm. um these days i think social media has changed the way you see things and everything is very accessible to everyone um wedding is a big industry and there's so much going on um there's there's literally a new change a new trend that comes up um after every few weeks so especially in um if you are from like south asian countries mm-hmm. so there there people invest money in wedding basically mm-hmm. so instead in islam the simplicity is the key if you have got if if you have got money and you can afford it um i'm not saying that you should be acting miserly and you should not be um putting money towards it but then you have to see that uh, how how to spend sensibly uh my piece of advice to be honest is that when you get married after a year or so you won't be looking back at those luxury photo shoots you won't be looking back at those dresses mm. that cost really an arm and a leg these days so you need to budget yourself and you need to work within your means mm. maybe uh to pave way just like we we give sadqa um mm. before doing any any deed anything so in these days there there is so much poverty in um in african countries and asian countries yep. so maybe if we can if we can afford a good wedding maybe we can take out a chunk of it and be a source of happiness for one family maybe a couple who is getting married there as well mm-hmm. and maybe we can um, you know put money some money towards that happiness and maybe those prayers will lead happiness in our life definitely so definitely. i i i see things from that perspective so i think yeah um, that's for sure i mean you know if uh, if you spend the extra money that you would have you know uh used it in in your wedding to a good cause and especially for feeding people let's say in in the the third world countries that will actually lead to a happier because in i remember at one occasion the promised messiah once said 
and I'm going to you know, shorten it thing. There's one person who was a, a non-believer um, and he used to feed this, you know, feed the birds, you know, he used to give seeds to a bird and a Muslim came up to him. Why are you even giving this? Because I don't, you know, you're not even a believer. God will not reward you for this. And this person said, God will reward me or, you know, uh, don't worry. And few years after, the same two per- people were actually uh, doing Hajj. That means, you know, the person who was actually feeding those birds, he was rewarded by God Almighty by accepting Islam. So there's so many, f- from the small things uh, that you do in your life, which uh, benefit others, can actually, you know, God rewards you in this world already. Um, lastly, uh, Sister Asma, I'm, I would like to ask you, about a specific verse in the Holy Quran where God Almighty says uh, about your spouses that they are a sort of garment for you and you are a sort of garment for them. So what does it mean with that? I think just like a garment uh, gives us protection from all sorts of exterior factors, um, from weather, from all all the harms that you can face in the world. Um, And also, simultaneously, it's also a source of adornment. So... Similarly, the spouse, he and she, uh, they should be like a cover, a protection to hide each other's weaknesses, the faults, mm. and also be a source of beautifying, complementing each other, be a source of, you know, uh, proving the sanctity of the relationship to the world that, yes, uh, that's how um, the marriage should work. Um, so a spouse he should be making you comfortable and then, guarding your modesty as well. So I think just like, just, just that is one of the, um, if, if you look into it, that is like the, one of the best way um, a relationship could be told, that uh, both are equally um, partnering towards uh, and endeavoring towards um, upholding of the marriage. Mm-hmm. None of them is um, like big or small here. So each whether it be the wife or the husband, they are equally important in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, um, Asma Zahir Sahiba, for your input and for answering our questions. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Jazakallah. So this was Asma Azar Lajna, uh, president of Reading. So the from the Women's Association, the head of the Women's Association in uh, Reading, um, yeah, very interesting, uh, you know, conversation we yes. had. You know, Zakaria, uh, when we are young, mm. we have been taught this prayer from very young age. Yeah. Mm. Which means, our Lord grant us our spouses and children the delight of our eyes and mm. make each of us a leader for of the righteous. Mm-hmm. You know, when we and this has been taught from very young age, so when your better half comes or uh, your wife comes mm-hmm. and she's and you both are the delight of, of each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, with this I remember a you know a a big story of um the Prophet Messiah mm-hmm. Islam and you know Hazrat Ammajan, um the wife um, of the promised Messiah mm-hmm. and you know she was always not prepared for any guests who were coming to the house right. so, and you know the second caliph um, mentioned the story and you know when I was reading this I was astounded how well she was always prepared right. when uh, any guests used to come and you know um, Azur 
narrates this story, and he and he said that Hazrat Amma Jan Anha um, also made a lot of sacrifices. One was that she kept food prepared 24, 24 hours a day for any guest that may come. So when the Prophet would sometimes quickly request some paratas, meaning you know, butter, bread, and uh, flatbread, sorry, yep. and tea, lassi is, is like a yogurt drink, mm-hmm. and curry to be brought in, sometimes pickles and chutneys like a yogurt um, mixed with flavors yeah. and spices, or milk, whenever a visit, um, visitor may request it. And it seemed like she was always prepared, and it was like Aladdin's cave that mm. whenever Hazul requested for anything, she was prepared. You know, and and that's that's being um, the delight of each other's eye. When yeah. without speaking or without telling, they know each other beforehand. Okay, they this might be happening. Visitors visitors might come on a daily basis, and and Hazamajan she was always prepared regarding the stuff. Yeah. And you know when I always uh, um, read um, regarding the life of the Prophet Muhammad mm. and see how uh, you know, the love between them, so we all, you know we should always pray that even when our um, better halves come and we should be the delight for each other's eye. Mm. So all those differences, as um, Sister Anna mentioned, you know always sharing to your friends or and telling others about what's happening in your house. That that which should never be done. It should be always, you know, between among yourself. It there should be a a a a, a bound or some kind of pact, um, for example, between yourselves. Okay, when we go out, there should be respect upon among ourselves. And when we speaking about my spouse or he uh, he she's speaking about her spouse, there should be always telling good about them instead of you know blaming small. So let's say he didn't yeah. pick up his shoes today from or she didn't. Um, pick up her shoes today. Yeah, you know these small um, nitty nitty gritties shouldn't be taught um, outside the public. There are some weaknesses obviously human beings have, yeah. but be, they can be worked upon when you speak about, uh, about it amongst yourselves first. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things to learn, isn't it? When you when you start praising your wife in front of others, they can learn as well from it. Indeed. Like, let's say you know, uh, you know, my wife has done something very. You know, good, and I'm I'm happy with it. I tell someone else, and maybe their wife when was not doing the same thing, and she can maybe you know change her lives. I mean, you can learn from these things. But if you start speaking ill about your spouses, what will happen is you know you will maybe create conflict between the other mm-hmm. um, uh, couple as well. So you should never ever you know say anything negative about your uh, your partner. Um, I mean, there's so much you know that we could have you know discussed, of course. But uh, you know, what what does Islam say about the purpose of marriage? And as in, um, what is the purpose of marriage in 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 the lights of Islam? So um, uh, you are asking me? Uh, sorry, <laughs> I was looking. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was uh, thinking about. I'm uh, sorry. I, I apologize. You know, I was thinking about another story in my head right now. Yeah. Sure. So go, I was go thrown for it, yeah. out for a second. Uh-huh, go so for if it. You, if, you, if you tell me the qu- uh, question again, sorry. Oh yeah. I was. Um, I, I was. I was just. I was saying. What is the purpose of marriage in Islam? You know, the purpose of marriage in Islam, in my opinion, I, I would say, you know, it's becoming. A, it's, it's like a partnership, right? Yeah. You should be respectful to each other. Mm. It's about you know um, um, having the betterment for the society. Mm-hmm. You know when two uh, people come together, um, 
they um what's it called when their offsprings and the generations come after them they uh, that's about betterment for the society so mm-hmm. marriage in islam is it's for the betterment for the society yep. and you know, making a society wholesome and functional and you know when i was thinking about this uh, when you were sorry asking me the question you know, i was um re- re- reading a um extract regarding the, his our current caliph has a mizakh masrur ahmed yatalab bin aziz and how he was example example husband we were reaching that end of the show i was wanted to make sure we do cover some aspects there's so much to talk about marriage and this topic so you know when um hazur was living his holiness was living in ghana and Uh, and before becoming became uh, before he became the caliph and you know and he was already dedicated for service of faith and he would spend his days and nights um, occupied in that matter but despite all his official duties and uh, he would also pay great t- attention to the household matters and and he always used to uh, be um, correspondent and cooperative you know and especially when they were when they moved to um tamale in ghana mm-hmm. his holiness would still do his utmost best to help with household chores and he would even collect the water and bring it from outside mm-hmm. there there was always a shortage of water in ghana so we had to keep um this has it say the amtul subuh begum saheb saying this um the wife of his holiness and she, we should we used to keep a tank outside which the tanker would come and fill with water there were large plastic drums in the kitchen and bathroom and hazul would um, fill these drums with buckets of water after every morning prayer so the fajr prayer or daily basis no matter how urgent his work um, was he never used to be uh, never yes said to me that he was busy and said um, you should fill them you should fill these drums um, so he would always you know out of the way and go and do the house chores and used to help out um as because the the duties and and making sure that the household functions hmm. so instead of burdening someone else with, um, with work you divide the work and um, make that functional uh, functional hmm. for um for um your uh, marriage yeah yeah i mean uh, the holy prophet peace and blessings all up upon him he used to uh do a lot of works himself as well right he used to wash the dishes he used to sew his own clothes he used to you know clean the house uh and and you know he did not expect the wife to do it mm-hmm. i mean he found this responsibility to be a part of both you know both of them they should you know they they should take care of the house of course i mean him his life was a perfect example for us as well i mean we we should not think that when men has a different role only and women has a different role only so both of when it's possible you should help each other as well with with whatever you know you can and whenever you can um, and this was uh, the example of uh, the holy prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him and um, the fifth caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim the current uh, caliph of the ahmadiyya muslim community you know he also said that uh, you know the prayer that you mentioned our lord grant us of our spouses and children the delight of our eyes and make each of us the leader of the righteousness um you know about this prayer he says that you know it attracts god's blessings for families and people of such families go to a participate 
to to on participate generations after generation in the progress of the community. So I believe we are at the end of the show and um, here is the five o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of today's drive time show. And the second topic of today is confession. Should you share your sins? That's the question we are asking. And also you can let us know by contacting us on our tweet, uh, Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK. You can call us and let let us know about your answer, what you believe regarding this on 0208-6877878. And you can also contact us via our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and we'll be happy to answer your um, your thoughts regarding confessions should you share your sins. So, Zakaria, you know, if you can start us off, um, what is um, confession? Well, confession means um, a uh, basically the statement or admitting that you are guilty or, or uh, you have done, you have made a crime. But mm-hmm. there are two things in this, right? So, when uh, when it comes to admitting and when you get caught of doing something wrong then you should admit that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. But there is something else with it as well. So let's say you have done something wrong and if you tell others that I have this, I have done something wrong, you know, openly, what happens is that they also would think that it is okay. And especially what what happens is, you know, uh, people, when they do something silly or that is um, some sort of a sin, Mm-hmm. Right, and they openly go and tell people proudly that I've made, you know, I've, I've done something wrong, or this is something I did. This is some sort of sin over sin, okay. basically. Because once, you know, I remember a hadith, a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he said, a, um, God Almighty covers a sinner's sin, right? Mm-hmm. But when that person goes and uh, brags about his sins, right? He actually, he himself is uh, ripping the parda or ripping the the veil that God has put above his uh, sins as of, you know, he's, he's ripping this veil himself to expose his, his sins to others. And what this does is it gives a courage to others as well to do the same sins. Mm-hmm. So this is something which... Um, uh, you know, Islam doesn't permit, of course. Um, you know, there is a hadith as well where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that, turn to Allah, ye people, and seek forgiveness to him. For myself, I turn to Allah a hundred times a day. So, you know, a prophet, whenever a prophet comes, he is an example of person. His previous life is a life of example. You know, people cannot easily point out mistakes or sins from that prophet because he's made the perfect amongst the nation mm-hmm. right but still the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him he himself being the the um, the mercy for the whole mankind or the exemplar human for the whole mankind he himself 
used to turn towards God hundred times for 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 his forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? That means that he did not go and express his sins and and tell his sins to others, mm-hmm. but he used to turn towards God. And this is how we as believers believe that if you have done any uh, mistake, if you haven't made any mistake in your life, right? You go, you should turn towards God and ask for forgiveness so that God will protect you from making these kind of mistakes in future and protects you from other mistakes mm-hmm. as well. You know, uh, when we always start anything, we say, we always say in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Yes. So, you know, all of this, whenever we do anything, we always pray towards him mm-hmm. and we ask for forgiveness um, from him for any shortcomings of ours or any wrongdoings of ours. We ask for um, his forgiveness, his mercy. Yep. But he, ultimately, he is... Um, 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 he, um, he's the one who can forgive us. You know, there are all these things. When we, there are what's it called? There are other in other religions we have um, other means or other ways of expressing um, for, for 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 forgiveness. Sorry, mm-hmm. there are two F's there. That's why I got a bit stumbled there. <laughs> so for 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 forgiveness, right? Yeah. And uh, when, for example, you have conf- uh, confessional booths for confessions, and um, where you go and you express what sin you have done hmm. in, in in different religions, and there are other means also. So, in what I wanted to ask is, so what is a sin? Zakaria, yeah. what is sin? So b- before we go into confessions, so what is sin? That um, for our listeners, if you can explain it. Yeah, I mean. Uh, before answering your question, I would like to say that you know confession, mm-hmm. as as this is the topic of today, uh, today's show in this hour, you know you've seen this that confession or confessing your sins has been a religious practice for many years, but by confessing your sins to a human, um, are we actually inadvertently normalizing the sin? In other words, you know, we're actually saying, okay, it's okay, uh, you can make sense. And, and, and in comfort, the other person would say, okay, it's fine, you've made a sin, and it's all right, you know, everyone can make a sin, you know. It can be argued that this practice can lead to a negative influence by, you know, hearing that the sin is being performed by multiple people, mm-hmm. which can further lead to normalization, right? Okay. Which can... In, when, when you start saying these and sharing your sins to others, they might think, okay, if so many people can do that, if that, this, your friend, this, that, everyone can do the same mistakes, mm-hmm. it's, it might be something normal. So this is why we don't turn to people, we don't confess our you know, sins to people, right? Mm-hmm. And confessions can change people's you know perceptions on on people after after hearing that they have performed a sin, and no matter how innocent or righteous the listener might be, right? Okay. So, you know, th- there are many ways of of you know abstaining from from sinning and 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 getting help from someone. But you know, confessing that you made sin, you made a sin to others, is not something which you know cures a sin. Now you asked the question Indeed. of what is sin. Sin should not be something that leads us to despair, and you mm-hmm. know, for despair and guilt has the danger to lead to more sin, which in turn leads to more guilt. 
right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes a vicious cycle and despair is something that Satan tricks you to make us fall back into a sin. So in other words, sin is something that, you know, you can say that you know that this this is something wrong, right? And when you don't know that it is a, it's something wrong, right, then of course it wouldn't be considered as a sin, right? Mm-hmm. For example, the um the uh, uh, prophet adam the first prophet of islam right he did not sin mm-hmm. because he did not even know that the mistake that he has done is something which which uh, he did not do it deliberately he was actually influenced by satan right and then god explained to him that this is sin and from now on you know when you do not listen to me you will be you know, uh, asked for your 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 sins, mm-hmm. and this is what sin is. But but when you are innocent, I mean, you don't know that y- you will be asked for your for your deeds, uh, or you don't know that if it's it's a right thing to do or wrong thing to, uh, or or not, then of course it wouldn't be considered as a sin. And the Holy Quran says that say, O my servant, who have committed excesses against their own souls, despair not of the mercy of Allah. Surely Allah forgives all sins. Fairly, he is the most forgiving, the most uh, merciful. Indeed, you know. Um, but this, um, also, you know, there's always a saying, a narration, well, a story which which is mentioned most of the time. Where, where even the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, narrated the story. You know, where once someone committed ninety nine murders. And we've been hearing yes. this story since childhood, mm-hmm. and 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 they felt remorse regarding you know their actions, mm-hmm. and and he went to the most knowledgeable person uh, around that area and so-called knowledgeable uh, yeah. No, yeah. so-called knowledge person yeah. who uh, around the area and and he he was told oh there's nothing he, he was shocked that nothing can happen nothing at all can happen and he said okay if he says okay what if, if very after 99 i can do more more hmm. so it was like 100 so yeah. like a whole century right so he done 100 murders hmm. and he went to search for another um knowledgeable person and um, on the way, and he was when he was leaving that evil town and trying to find find a good town where he can find his answer. Um, but he died on the way. Yeah, you know. And then when the angels descended and they were like, "Okay, he's going hell or heaven." So he went to another saint, and this yes. person said, "Go to leave this town where you leave have sinned, right?" And he even left and, and go to that specific town where you can actually town. indeed. So um, when the repent, yeah, yeah, and when the uh, angel descended and they were like, "Okay, no, he he's going hell because he's done x um, hundred hundred murders," and he's saying, "No, he he was trying to repent, so he has to go to heaven." And you know, when they counted the when they said, so okay, the angels of mercy and angel, angel of punishment, punishment came, and they indeed. they had this conflict of. Of right. this, and then yeah. what's it called? Thanks, you know, for Zakaria for elaborating on this, and. Uh, when they came and when they counted the mouth at uh, the steps, um, okay, was he closer to the town where he sinned, yeah. or to the town where he was going to? He was closer to that town where he was going to, and okay, that that's why they took him to heaven. Yeah, and because because he was trying to find mercy. But does <laughs> just just a question yes. around this 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 uh, saying of uh, if let's say that does that mean that you can. You can kill hundred people, no, no, no. and thinking that maybe no, no, no. after killing hundred person, hundred people, not at all. you might 
go and seek for repentance. It's just it's just a saying, right? Yeah. It's just uh, for um for our knowledge. Okay. And that means basically the moral of the story here is yeah. Okay, if you ever uh, have done anything wrong or anything, there's always yeah. a a chance of repentance, which uh, must uh, I can't a human being can't give him that, but he yeah. has to pray towards God Almighty to get that repentance from him because mm-hmm. he's the one who's the most merciful, mm. and it's not a, a, um, a amongst us as human beings to say okay he he is he's, he's sinful or he's not sinful right so the moral of the story was okay if you have um, done anything you, you should always repent yeah always repent uh, and ask forgiveness but if you go back to it so this fine. is this is for those who have and that this is basically for those who have already uh, let's say sinned so much in their life and they can still change and you know moral of the story what i think um uh, sad is that when Mm-hmm. in order this this is something that can actually change from a a brutal person to a saintly like person right so this gives a chance of someone to change mm-hmm. right it doesn't mean that you're allowed to do something wrong but it means that it doesn't matter what you have done previously there's always chance to change yes right there's always because someone who does not believe in forgiveness of so that God Almighty will forgive me, or someone doesn't. You know, for example, if someone doesn't believe in 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 God at all, they would literally do whatever they want because they would know that maybe a very powerful person knows that no one is going to punish him mm-hmm. or her of their deeds, right? But if someone has this um, this thought or they have this true belief of a Creator who has created you and is just. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you're living this world, right? That's fine. Doesn't matter how powerful you might be. There is a creator who is the most powerful. And you, for every single deed that you do, will be punished. Okay. Or mm-hmm. you will be rewarded, right? So if, if you have this belief, mm-hmm. right? If you have this belief and you also have the belief on top of that that you will be forgiven then immediately you will stop doing whatever you do and you can change your life. And And there is a hadith of the Holy Prophet, a peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he actually gives the comfort to someone who has done a lot of sins mm-hmm. but s- still wants to change. And he says the one who repents from sin is like the one who did not sin at all. Right? right. That means some. if you want to change now, this moment, you believe in God Almighty, Right? Stop whatever you're doing. Start and you're repenting. Start doing, um, asking for forgiveness to God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And when you truly do this from the bottom of your heart, God will forgive you immediately. So th- this is something that, you know, t- the teachings of Islam, you know, it just, just, just saying, if you start studying about Islam, the smallest of the smallest things, you can learn so much. Indeed. And you can change your life. So much. So Islam is a way of life, right? Yep. It's not just a religion, it's also a way of life. You know, when we say, um, for example, when our topic today for, about confessions, right? We, we are not going to someone else um, for our confessions, okay, saying, okay, I've done this sin, mm-hmm. please help me. Yep. We, are, we are going to the Almighty God and asking for help and, and for mercy because He's ultimately the one who can forgive us. So Islam teaches you um, a form of life a mm. way of living 
And you know, when I started, um, what's it called, um, learning about Islam, and it it makes it made sense to me. Uh, it, and that's um, because when I started learning, it's like why Islam though? Mm-hmm. What was Islam? Uh, why is Islam the religion um, mm-hmm. of truthfulness? Mm-hmm. So when I started studying, and Islam teaches you how a society should function, how a husband and wife should function, how children should function. It was telling us a way of living, hmm. and it said, "Okay, if this happens, you should do this. If you, if that happens, okay, you can do this." And there's always a a way, and um, what Islam has given, so it always there's um, a easier way, um, a simpler way, where society, a family, a, a brotherhood, hmm. and can function. God, Islam has given you um, all the ways um, of functioning. So you know, when we when we speak about confessions and stuff, hmm. and and Islam, and we want to, uh, you know today our confession uh, line. So that's why I want to have someone you know um, um, from our guests, our ex- experts today, and ask them these questions also, which I have in my mind for them. So with this, you know, I would like to welcome Imam Ibrahim Noonan. He's an Irish Imam to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, Ibrahim Noonan is an Imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association Island and is based in Galway at the Gal Mosque, Galway Mosque. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome Brother Ibrahim Noonan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. Brother Ibrahim, I wanted to ask, um, um, you know, when we speak about confessions and should we tell our sin, do you know we have um, different um religions who have different ways of um, um, putting a confession forward for example in christianity you have um, those um conf- uh, confession booth where you go and the priest is on the one side and you on the other side and you um say to them okay this is the sin i have done please help and then they help them out so what does islam teach us regarding um the way of confessions well um i think you know this is a very um extremely important uh, area and um, I should point out before I answer the question. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I'm a former Orthodox Roman Catholic. Okay. So I used to attend uh, many, many. I mean, up to the age of uh, up to the age of um, uh, up to, up just part of my conversion to Islam up up to that point. So from the very young age of from twelve to twenty three, I used to attend the the very confession booths you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, what I would like to say is so that it's, it's very clear to our, our listeners that um, you know this confession, this understanding of confession, that uh, particularly that the Roman Catholic Church or indeed the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, Russian Orthodox, etc., mm-hmm. Coptic, um, they get this from uh, following from Judaic teaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is very important to understand. Um, and the danger in this confession is not that the person is confessing as such. I mean, confessing, expressing yourself to someone mm-hmm. um, can help someone, but it's where you're putting that human being in the place of God Almighty. This is where the issue is. And so therefore in Islam, um, you cannot attribute such authority, such power, such a forgiving power to a human being. So in Islam, um, confessing your sins to another human being 
um, is in a way uh, forbidden as such. And you really only should be confessing your sins uh, to God Almighty, seeking forgiveness to him and him only, and putting your trust in him. And the beauty of that is, as you already pointed out yourself, Mm -hmm. that the beauty of that is you can be anywhere, any moment, in any time, in any place, where you can speak to God Almighty and express your weaknesses, if you want to call them sins, weaknesses where you know you have maybe committed some weakness, some sin or concept, you know, some sin, some some uh, thing that you've done wrong, and you seek your forgiveness from God Almighty. Exactly. This is what Islam says. Mm-hmm. So, Imam Ibrahim, I wanted to ask, you know, how does um, this confession boots um, system work then? for our listeners to understand um, what happens actually during that period? Well, I mean, you enter into a box or into a confession box Mm -hmm. and you're sitting there and uh, you're waiting for the priest to... when When you're sitting in a confession box, there's two boxes, one for you and one for the priest. Okay. And when when you're sitting there, a small sliding door opens, a window, I should say, and the priest cannot see you and you cannot see the priest. Okay. But he can hear you and you can hear him. And basically, the priest will ask you, um, why have why have you come and what sins do you need to confess? And then you start confessing your sins. Um, and, and to be honest, I still remember those experiences. Um, it didn't feel natural at all. Even for me, from the age of 13, I didn't, find it natural mm-hmm. to do that and uh, to confess it, even if you had a sin I mean let, let, you know let me tell you that from the age of 12 13 14 most most teenagers in my time I don't know about now I would imagine the same but most teenagers in my time we really didn't sin in the sense of committing adultery fornication stealing robbing killing etc etc so really all you were confessing is some weaknesses you okay. maybe had some bad thoughts you may have some biased thoughts, things like that, and you're confessing what you consider to be a sin. And then the priest gives you some uh, penitence that you have to do. Like for me, in my case, many times I was told to recite the Hail Mary 20 times, the Father 20 times, the Rosary, another, you know, more of the Rosary 20 times, and you go and you have to do it. You leave the, you leave the confession box and then you... You repeat these, uh, the rosary 20 times, uh, you know, the Alfada 20 times. And according to the uh, the priest, then your sins have been removed. Okay. But, um, but does this ahead. help? Yes, uh, but does this help? I think it, I think it helps if you are uh, fully uh, conscious of the understand, understanding of the sacrament of confession. Now, when I say help, let me elaborate on that. Okay. Because you, because you believe you're you're a Roman Catholic. You you actually you believe that the priest represents God. He's he's the one who is now has the power given by God um, to forgive your sins. So you believe that. So of course, when you uh, believe that, then you actually come away thinking, uh, my sins must have been forgiven. But the reality is that when you do leave. Um, you actually do start to question, um, well, I don't feel any different. I, I mean, I'm, um, you know, tomorrow I might repeat the sin again. So okay. you start questioning, what's the point of the confession? 
Mm-hmm. What benefit has the confession given to me as a person who confessed? I would say um, very little. Okay. Um, uh, that's my personal opinion. Very little you have benefited from it. Um, because you, you might be going back to see him again uh, the next day and the next day and the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I would say that it, it, it's... Um, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be uh, disrespecting the system of confession. Uh, it's there. But I, I, I would say that you really didn't make an improvement Indeed. Uh, after that. Okay. Um, Imam Ibrahim, I wanted to ask, you know, let's say um, it's something a, a person has done illegal. Does the priest have to um, um, tell the authorities about it uh, in the con- after the confession box or not? Not. He's sworn to secrecy. Okay. Um, yeah, he's sworn to secrecy. No priest can reveal what the, the sin has been uh, confessed, confessed, which is quite ironic, actually, because if you read um, uh, in the book of Leviticus mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and other places in the Old Testament, and like in the book of Proverbs, as an example, the book of Leviticus and the book of Proverbs, you are told to openly confess your sins in the public. Yes. Okay? So if you commit murder, you have to confess it. If you commit adultery, you have to confess it. Mm-hmm. If you commit fornication, you have to confess it um, in public, uh, which is quite ironic because, again, in the book of Leviticus, if you confess that if you confess that you've committed adultery, you're stoned to death. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, so it's, Ironic on one side, but at the same time, the priest cannot. Um, if someone goes in to uh, confess a sin to a priest that I have, um, I am con- let's say, for example, I am constantly being uh, beating my wife. I, I'm, I'm vicious upon her. I beat her black and blue. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confessing my sin. Basically, domestic violence. That priest cannot go and then tell the authorities. Mm-hmm. Right? That means if a person comes along and says, I'm confessing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a dr- drug user, or a drug, I sell drugs, or I'm a pedophile. Whatever, whatever this main serious allegation may be, even murder, the priest has to keep it as, a, as a, the keep the secret of the confessor. Okay, so you know, Imam Ibrahim, um, what are the seven deadly sins in Christianity? And are any of these um, seen as unforgivable? Um. I can't recall off my head now the seven the seven deadly sins, but uh, there was a time when I used to know them. But okay, the most deadly sin is actually, uh, believe it or not, is uh, um, shirk worshiping anything besides God Almighty and and abusing the Holy Spirit. But after that, of course, is adultery, mm-hmm. fornication, okay. stealing, murder. Um, these are deadly sins. Are they forgiven? Of course, um, if if you fornicate, if you commit adultery, as an example, mm-hmm. yes, you can be forgiven. In in general, you can be forgiven if you repent, okay. if you sincerely, with your heart, repent, and uh, never promise never to return to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, uh, God's mercy uh, from the Islamic perspective um, is is He's merciful. He's forgiving. But you have to first acknowledge you've sinned and then change your way uh, mm-hmm. of your life. And then, of course, I believe God forgives you. Time. Exactly. And 
you know, um, Imam Ibrahim Nunan, I wanted to ask, um, the, in the Bible it says J, uh, in James um, chapter 5 verse 16 that we must confess um, our sins to one another as you mentioned before um, regarding this also. So, But in the same time in James um, chapter 5 verse 14, 15 it's referring that it, the healing power both physical and spiritual of the priest, um, priests of the church can um, it can happen. Can you just um, explain it to us how this happens or what that means? Well, this is going back again to the yes. Old Testament, to the Indeed. book of Leviticus and to Proverbs, okay? it's Remember, James was a Jew, Jewish person. He was a, a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. So that means he was following the Jewish rituals of, um, of uh, confessing sins. And according to the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, etc., um, and Proverbs, um, if a person confesses their sin mm-hmm. openly, openly means... That's why James says that, or that's why it's been said that, confess to each other, right? Mm-hmm. That means you're confessing openly your sin. So if you do that, um, they say that, and it is believed that, um, you know, you can uh, earn the mercy of God, the forg- basically the forgiveness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a Jewish concept. And it is something which Christianity held on to afterwards. But the difference was, the difference is, now in those days, in the time of Leviticus and at the time of even the, even the time of James, there was no such thing as confession boxes. Okay. Um, I myself, I myself, I was a very devout, I used to be a very devout Dominican. And uh, I mean, I used to belong to the Dominican order. So I used to, I used to openly confess the hardest confession you can make mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church is actually sit in front of a priest, face-to-face, okay. and actually confess your sins looking him straight in his eyes. This, again, is based upon Jewish tradition. And that is the hardest thing to do. I've done it. I've done it several times over the years where I've gone to in front of a bishop or, or, or a monk uh, where I would sit in front of him and I would confess my sins. That is all coming based upon uh, Jewish tradition. And there again, as I said earlier on, the priest, the monk, will then pray for you, and then he will you know, uh, put, put the sign of the cross over you, mm-hmm. and then he will give you penitence to do. And he will tell you, go out and recite the Hail Marys a hundred times, the Our Fathers a hundred times, and, and your sins will be forgiven. This is the concept that um, they have in their mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, when we look at Islam, it uh, is the opposite, right? So Islam does not encourage the sharing of sins uh, as a means to attaining God's forgiveness. Why is that so? Well, I, I think that um, uh, first and foremost it is because you, if if you, as I already mentioned, if you are believing or, cons- or, or have this concept that by, by the fact that you are sharing your sin or confessing your sin to another human being and that will somehow absorb your sins, then you're putting that human being in the place of God. It's a form of shirk. Mm-hmm. You're putting that trust and power into another human being. Maybe by doing that, you're, you're, you're absolved of all your sins. So I think this is why. You're, you're just putting a trust in a human being. Mm-hmm. I mean, in hope that by confessing to him, 
somehow you your sins will be easier or forgiven more quicker. Not at all. The, the best way that, uh, to uh, confess your sins, and if you have sinned, then we all know our weaknesses. We all know our innermost secret ideas and um, you know things that we go through on a daily basis. Those those cons- those weaknesses or sins, if you would like to call them sins, should only be ever spoken between you and God Almighty and mm. nobody else. Mm. And where you put your trust in Him and you acknowledge to Him. You acknowledge to Almighty Allah and you submit to him by saying, I accept and I fully agree upon my weaknesses and I need your help. Hmm. That is why the Holy Prophet has given us so many examples. If you read the hadiths of the Prophet, he has given us so many um, prayers, so many methods of... uh, seeking the forgiveness of, of God Almighty. And one of them uh, is acknowledging, as I already mentioned, that you made a promise to God Almighty when you became a Muslim. Oh, you may have been born a Muslim, and therefore you, you, uh, you're, you're, in a way, you're still a part of that covenant, if you want, with God Almighty and yourself, that you will do everything in your power not to commit a sin. So, you know, there's a, there's a prayer of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, or, or there's an advice given to us by him. It's a fact, it is a prayer where the Holy Prophet mentioned that uh, in part of this prayer is, oh Allah, oh, oh Allah, you are my Lord, there is none worthy of worship except you. So that's the first thing you have to acknowledge. You created me and I am your servant mm-hmm. and I am steadfast as I can be on my covenant with you and on my promise to you. I seek your protection from the evil of my actions. I acknowledge your bounties and admit my sins. Hmm. Hence, forgive me, please, for there is certainly none who can forgive except you. Now, that's a prayer of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Hmm. And that's profound, absolutely profound for many reasons. Yeah. And the, the main reason is you are, you are acknowledging, number one, that only God is, only Allah is the one um, who we worship. That's why we say five times a day, hmm. To thee alone do we worship. And to be alone do we seek help. I mean, there's no one else. There's nobody can help you. No one can forgive you other than God Almighty. So that's the first thing that this thing is saying. Yeah. And then you're acknowledging that Allah created you. You're acknowledging that you made a covenant with him. Then you're seeking his protection from the evil of your actions. That's, that's the thing. You, you've accepted mm-hmm. that I am doing certain evils and my actions. And I accept that I'm doing them. And then you, you acknowledge that Allah, who else can forgive me other than you? So this is this is this is the reason why I would say that in Islam, um, you know, it's forbidden to, to put your trust in, um, in in another human being regarding your sins. Hmm. It's a different thing if you are confessing emotional uh, issues where you need the guidance of a fellow Muslim, a fellow Muslim, a brother to brother, sister to sister, and you're you are maybe. Um, not necessarily committing a, uh, confessing a sin, but you maybe you could be seeking guidance that I'm, I'm having problems. Can you know what should I do? Um, what you know, and, and that person may then say to you, to that person, my dear brother, my dear sister, pray, hmm. seek forgiveness in your prayers to God Almighty, and do your best to change your ways. That I mean, 
that's how I understand it. And I think it's, as, as, as our brother said earlier on, hmm. Islam, for me, has the most perfect method uh, in, in uh, first of all, removing the burden of, of, of your burdens from your shoulders by simply by going into Sajda and, and seeking the forgiveness of God Almighty. So, in Christianity, we know this concept um, that uh, Jesus he himself sacrificed himself by what they believe is that he died on the cross and he took the punishment for all uh, the sins of his believers. Whoever believes in his death on the cross, their sins have been forgiven. So what does that mean? Does it mean that, you know, if someone believes in, in Jesus, uh, their sins are all forgiven? doesn't matter if they do any sin or not. What about the people who came before Jesus, uh, what about their sins? Um, this is something that I want to understand as well. You know, this is an um, unfortunate uh, uh, belief system. Um, it is something which which is really, um, what's the word I want to use, an innovation mm-hmm. by the early church and church later on, uh, where they have taken this um, sacrificial ritual for the forgiveness of sins, which is in Judaism, mm-hmm. it's a practice of Judaism, where you take a lamb um, and you, first you publicly announce your sins, and then you are, you are the high priest or the priest is transferring the sins, your sins, onto that animal, and then that animal is slaughtered. And there's another ritual in Judaism where you transfer your sins on to the animal and the animal is set free. Now, what that means is is that now you've publicly admitted your sins and now you're, you're absolutely free of your sins. This is a Judaic concept. And they, in early Christianity, that's why the Jesus is called the Lamb of God. That's why they put this upon him. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's not something Jesus taught full stop. I mean, in the in the book, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was specifically asked twice that uh, Lord, they called him Lord, or some in another place they called him Rabbi, what do I have to do to attain eternal life? The first response Jesus gave was, recite the Kalama, recite the Shema, recite that, 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 uh, that to, you know, that I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. First you do that. Then Jesus said, obey the commandments of God. Act upon the commandments. If you do this, you will attain eternal life. So there was no mention in these two places of him saying, you have to believe that I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going to take all the sins of mankind upon me, and therefore, from that moment on, your sins are forgiven. The, the part that you asked about uh, the priority of Jesus, which is absolutely a, a very important question, what, a, what, a, what an injustice this is to the millions and millions and millions of people from the time of Jesus backwards right up to Adam, um, right, who never got to hear his name, never got to know anything about him. So basically their sins are still held upon them, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, as such, they never had the opportunity to confess 
or to say, I believe in faith in Jesus. Because remember, in, in Christianity, it's faith alone will you be forgiven. It, there's no mention of that you have to abide by the laws or mm. act upon good deeds and righteousness, etc. It's simply faith alone. Yet, the Apostle James disagreed with this mm. when he said good deeds had to be done alongside faith. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said without prayer, without fasting, your sins cannot be, you, 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 cannot be, you cannot be absolved from your weaknesses and your sins. So Jesus says one thing, but um, this concept is, is a, Paul, a, a teaching of Paul, basically, in the early church. It's nothing to do with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I believe we have also received a question from one of our listeners. Uh, Saad, would you like yes. to ask this question? Um, um, the question which came through is, um, they're asking, can you discuss a sin and how you overcame it to inspire others to become better. So if you were, let's say, a liar, can you say it out loud, um, um, say out loud and, and say, I used to lie and I stopped by doing this um, ex, um, et cetera, et cetera work? Or is this something which is not allowed? Well, you know, I wrote, uh, sorry, not I wrote, I gave a speech um, many years ago, Jalsa Islam in the UK, when I was Naib Sadaq Adam in the UK, mm -hmm. on this very subject matter where I was asked to write about the companions of Hazrat Nizim al-Islam about their weaknesses prior to becoming a follower of the Prophet and how they were afterwards. And each and every one of them that I gave an example of acknowledged some of their weaknesses and then how by accepting the Prophet Messiah al-Islam um, they, they were able to overcome mm -hmm. those weaknesses. Um, even Hazrat Khalifa Tal-Masih the first himself said there was one weakness he had, mm -hmm. but until he met Hazrat Nasim al-Islam, he was not able to get rid of it. Now, what does this mean? This means that the spiritual power of recognizing the person who claimed to be the Messiah of the time, the Messiah, the anointed person of God, that spiritual power which came with the promised Messiah, that's why... It is always said that such people come from above, meaning from heaven, meaning mm -hmm. not literally, meaning the power, spiritual power of, of enabling human beings to recognize God Almighty, to change their lives, to able eventually to give up a weakness they could possibly never do before. Okay. I am one. Of, I'm. I'm one. I am. I am also such a person. I was never a bad person. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe, I, I believe, I hope I'm correct in stating this, I believe that I lived a very moral-based life. I had weaknesses like all young Irishmen, but I, I believe most of my characteristics were, were, were um, I don't want to use the word pious, but basically moral-based, mm -hmm. moral-ethical-based. But I believe that it was Islam which enabled me to really understand the concept of sin and the impact of sin that it would have on your spirituality, mm -hmm. and enabled me to uh, to get rid of those influences. And um, so, I mean, is it is it? Uh, yes, I do believe it is okay to not to give uh, to not to 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 share um, perhaps some incidents in your life which um, you used to do, like you could have been a thief, for mm -hmm. example, right? And for some reason, even as a even as a, uh, a Christian or a Jew or indeed a Muslim, 
for some way or some for some reason you just weren't able to get rid of it. Okay. Um, uh, but then eventually you did, and then you tell people why you did. For example, Hazrat Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam once was in the mosque, and the companions noticed that a man was praying in the mosque, and they said, "Oh, Muslim of Allah, this man's a thief. Mm-hmm. He's a known thief, not an ordinary thief. He's constantly stealing." He shouldn't be allowed to pray in the mosque. We should get rid of him. The Prophet said, no, leave him alone. Let him pray. Mm-hmm. Because by prayer and by, by, by him is constant being, constantly being in prayer, ultimately he will give up that. He will give up stealing. Right? Okay. What does that mean? That means if you concentrate in your prayer, you come to the masjid every day, or even indeed if you pray in your home, and you with full sincerity... Uh, reach out to God Almighty. Ultimately, inshallah, you will give up that sin. Because what happens? You develop that relationship with God Almighty. Mm-hmm. You become God conscious. Your spirituality grows. The love of God Almighty, you know, develops in your heart. And then it's, it will become impossible as such for you to go back to such a sin. So okay. I think that, yes, can you share... I've shared, I've shared my, I mean, I have, and I'm writing, a, like, I'm writing a book at the moment, which is about my conversion. It's nearly finished now, inshallah, and alhamdulillah. And I do mention in that book certain lifestyle. Now, like I said, I wasn't bad, but I had weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I'm showing people before and after, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and how it was only Islam was able to, uh, to enable me to give up such a lifestyle and lead me towards God Almighty, and and I, I hope and I pray up to right where I'm right now that I have been some way uh, successful. So yes, I do think it is okay. Um, now it, 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 it is okay for you to share an experience to inspire others, as long as you don't go overly into it by admitting every single in detail, unnecessary um, weaknesses of your past. You don't need to do that. But mm-hmm. if you um, if you do have a, a particular weakness or sin, if you want to call it that way, and you, you feel by sharing it to inspire others to change their life, I personally don't think there's any, any issue with that. There's a difference between that and a difference between confessing your sins in front of people. Zakla, Imam Ibrahim Nunan, for joining us today and enlightening our listeners and explaining it so well to all of us who, who are listening and and Zakla for joining us um, today's drive time show. Jazakallah, and thank you, thank you for having me. Zakla. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum So this was um, Imam Ibrahim Noonan, who is a missionary, and and in in Ireland, and he's also you know the um, the explanation he gave us today. You know, it has enlightened me also a lot. I had some few questions, and when he was answering, and there were. It was like a tick box happening. Okay, okay, that's fine. Uh, and Zakla for telling me uh, because I was like, I could those questions were being answered um, uh, by Imam Sabzadeh, uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan, and I was like, okay, the, I was you know really enlightening and very educational for myself um, in being here and uh, learning from him. Mm, I, got, I remember when he came once to um, to our university and he gave his you know his life story, he was sharing it to us. That was also very insp- uh, inspirational. I was uh, in my first or second year that time. Obviously, you're still new in, in that place. You're still trying to learn. And you know, to, through his um, um, experience and his um, motivational speech as such, 
you know, I was able to, you know, get get some grasp on the religion and did my own research. You know, even even when I was young, I had some shortcomings, but and through research, um, through understanding, through um, and reading books, um, those shortcomings hopefully have been overcome. And obviously, as a human being, we never know what shortcomings, um, shortfalls will come um, in the future. But we should always pray, you know, and ask for the uh, mercy from um, Allah the Almighty, because He is the one who is the most forgiving and the most merciful. There's no one else who can be replaced, and you can um, confess your sins to, because He is ultimately He's the Almighty, and He's the one who can only forgive. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, sins is something that only God Almighty can. Can f- forgive us, and and this is a genuine repentance, and and indeed such a repentance, of course, enjoys a special position. The Holy Quran, uh, God Almighty says that, and whoso does evil or wrongs his soul, and then asks forgiveness of Allah, will surely find Allah most forgiving, merciful. I mean, not only will Allah forgive you of your sins, but He will allow you basically to not. You know, Allah will only forgive you when He knows that you genuinely praying to Him, and mm-hmm. this is this is what we believe as well. God yes. is a, a living God, and when you turn towards Him with a genuine heart, with a pure heart, He He will listen to your prayers, right? And when you genuinely go to God Almighty and pray to Him for forgiveness, He knows that you will not do these mm-hmm. same things over again. Because you come with a pure heart, Indeed. and it will also help you as well to get rid of that uh, whatever sin you've done, right? Indeed. And and the Holy Quran repeatedly reminds us of the, you know, this way of, you know, seeking forgiveness and of repenting before Allah, and so that we may be, you know, able to become a recipient of His favors mm-hmm. and and His blessings, um, as He has promised in in this verse as well. And also, you know, according to Islam, even if every person commits a minor or a major sin, mm-hmm. right, it is not necessary for an authorized clergyman to confess them and mm-hmm. as a result pay the penalty to be cleansed of his sins, right? And this is, a human being cannot do that, right? right. Uh, and according to Islam, the purification of sins uh, takes place with a sincere repentance you know uh, like i said from from the bottom of the heart it should be something you know that you're doing it and you will not doing it you will not do it again or you turn yourself towards god knowing or willing for that mistake not to be done again right and so uh, in in islam we also know uh, something called as istighfar mm. right uh, which in other words means the prayer for forgiveness mm-hmm. right and what it does is it allows someone you know and istighfar has so many this is a basically prayer that in arabic um where where you basically you know repent and ask for god's help for all the sins the uh, sins which is um hidden mm-hmm. but also which is visible to others so okay. that those sins they, you can get rid of those sins and in future as well uh, it you won't do these sins again mm-hmm. right and god almighty helps you with uh, you know with that as well you know only if you try your best right if you try 
to get rid of anything, any sin, you know. And we wanted to ask another question as well, right? And this was, and I think you asked this question as well, but what um, if someone, you know, has, you know, done sins in their previous life, mm-hmm. right? But they have accepted Islam. What would happen with, with those kind of people? I mean, because, for example, in, in Islam, the fornication and, and, and adultery and all those things are forbidden, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and uh, drinking alcohol and all, etc., etc. So what about their sins? So regarding their sins, you know, when someone enters the fold of Islam, yeah. right? It's like uh, you're cleansing yourself um, all over and you're trying to stay away from your previous life. Yeah. But okay, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to say that they're forgiven or, or they're anything... Because mm-hmm. we, I don't know what's going to happen if they if they have accepted Islam, and, but if they turn back to those sins, yeah, or not. So I can't uh, uh, tell tell them okay, these sins, um, the new sins will be forgiven because mm. they're turned back to the old vices they were doing yeah. already. Yeah. But if they truly believe and they stay away from those um, sins, obviously Allah the Almighty is, is most forgiving, and exactly. they, those sins will be forgiven. I mean, um, if someone genuinely accepts Islam and knows that he will give up all the sins that he has done before or she has done before, right? God knows that this person has changed his life and that certain person is as of a a newborn baby and the promised Messiah also said this, right? So at the end, we are at the end of the show. Time just flies. Yes, time just flies, right? If you have faith, always be hopeful of receiving the mercy and forgiveness of God Almighty. You have become involved in some bad deeds due to your human frailties, but you are not of those you have become lost or gone astray because it is the only those you have become lost who lose hope of God's mercy. These are the people who do not believe in God Almighty at all, mm-hmm. and they do not believe in His graciousness. Hopefulness is the characteristic of those who have gone astray. Um, thank you for all the listeners. I would like to thank um, Anna Mahmoud as well, our producer, and the tech team as well. So with that, um, you know, Saad, thank you very much for, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> having this discussion, of mm-hmm. course. And also I would like to thank all the guests as well who has do- joined us over the phone. Um, and um, thank you for the listeners. And here is the 6 o'clock news.